Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, November 12th, 2023, we continue our series titled, Knowing Jesus, the Gospel of Luke. Today's sermon, Sent by Jesus, will be taught to us by Pastor Kevin Yule out of Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 24. Enjoy. In the late 50s, in the early 60s, there was uh, this thing called the Cold War, and Russia and America were not friends, and there was this great race to see who could conquer space. And Russia was crushing America in every category. First satellite, Russia. First living thing in space and come back, Russia. First person to do a spacewalk, Russia, Russia, Russia. And all of a sudden, America got very concerned and scared. So Dwight Eisenhower, the president at the time, put together a a group of people and said, hey, it's your job to help figure out how do we compete with this, and and is this something for us to be afraid of? And so the the smartest people from all different forces of the military got together, and they all tried to figure out, like, what are we going to do? And they all kind of did a little bit here and a little bit there, but they really didn't get anywhere until John F. Kennedy is president, and he sits before Congress, and he looks him in the eye, and he says, it is my My goal, my vision, that before this decade is up, we will land a man on the moon. And all of a sudden, all these wise, smart engineers and scientists from all these different branches of the government, they got together. And instead of one of them trying this and one of them trying that, they all got together and said, all right, now we have a clear and focused mission. And that is this, to put a man on the moon. So everything that they brought up, every idea that came up, every, everything that was even considered, it was always met with the same question. Does that help us put a man on the moon? Hey, I got this new theory. Does that theory have anything to do with us putting a man on the moon? And if the answer was no, it didn't get talked about. Where do you guys want to go for lunch? Let's get pizza. Does that help us put a man on the moon? All right, salad it is, so we're not so tired. And everything put a man on the moon. John F. Kennedy rolled into NASA one day to meet with some of the scientists to find out, hey, where are we at in this whole process? And as he was waiting for them to gather, he was in the lobby and he noticed a man in the corner sweeping with a broom and a dustpan. And apparently, which was President Kennedy's style, he walked up to this this young man and said, hey, tell me your name. Told him his name and he said, all right, well, son, what is it that you do here at NASA? And this janitor with broom in hand and dustpan In the other hand, looked the president in the eye and he said, Mr. President, I am here to help us put a man on the moon. It didn't matter. Everyone in that building had one central mission, one clear focus. We exist and everything we do is to put a man on the moon. So here's a question and here's where Jesus is going to get at today. He's going to set his eyes towards Jerusalem. Jesus is going to stop chasing everything that's going on around him and he's got his eyes fixed on one thing, giving his life for the sins of the world. That is his mission. So here's our question. What is our mission? As sons and daughters of God, as those of you in here that know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, what is your mission? Because if we don't know what our mission is, if we don't know what it is God has called us to do, it is very easy to chase a bunch of different things and to get distracted by what? I kind of want to be a really good father. That's a great secondary thing. I want to be the best husband I could be. That is a great secondary thing. I want to make a lot of money. I want to live life comfortably. I want to, I want to do, you can do a lot of different things, but just like all of those scientists, you're chasing a bunch of different stuff. You see, I believe from the word of God, 
I believe what we're going to look at today, God's called us to do one thing as sons and daughters of his, as ambassadors for Jesus, that is to put Jesus Christ on display in everything that we do. That in the way that we love and relate to people, the way that we interact, the way that we carry ourselves in this world, that everything we do, people will get a little glimpse of Jesus. That that is our purpose. That is why we exist. So when you wake up tomorrow and you go back to work after a long weekend, it's not to, to answer emails and to run a staff meeting and to do all of this stuff. It's I'm going to work to put Jesus on display. Some of my friends over here, when you're sitting in your geometry class tomorrow and trying to figure out why you have to study geometry, I don't know either. <laughs> but you can sit there in class, surrounded by all your classmates and your teacher there, and you can either be a geometry student or you can sit there and go, I am here today in geometry class to put Jesus on display and how I love and relate to people. That maybe somehow someone would say, man, what's different about you? And then you would have the courage to put the name Jesus to it. Do we have that purpose in life? Why do we do what we do? This weekend, why did you do what you did? Tomorrow, what do you, why are you going to do what you do? Jesus is going to come in with a very clear and focused mission. I think he's calling us to do the same thing. He's going to give us a bit of a formula that he's going to send these guys out with. And so that's where I want to take us today. Let me pray for us and then we'll dive into our time in the word. God, thank you. Uh, God, personally, just thank you for the encouragement that this book has been to me and continues to be. And so, uh, God, right now in this moment, fill my mind uh, with what I know to be true of you. And God, I pray in the power of your Holy Spirit that somehow you would use the, the words of Scripture to penetrate our hearts, God, to change us. And for those of us that came in here today, for a hundred different reasons, God, that we would leave a little bit different, looking a lot more like your son Jesus than when we came in. And God, if you should see fit that you would give us opportunity to share the hope of Christ and to represent you in a world that desperately needs to see you. So God, give us that opportunity. We'll thank you in advance for however you choose to move and whatever you choose to do. We love you and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, let me take you back before we get, we're going to be in Luke chapter 10. Let me take you back uh, to something I believe Thomas read to you last week. In Luke chapter 9, verse 51, Jesus is going to make two, there are going to be two statements made in, in the word of God. It says, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, Jesus' time is, is coming to an end. It says, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And then again, in verse 53, people were upset because he didn't want to stay in their town. Why? Because he had set his face towards Jerusalem. Jesus, with an unwavering focus and a vision, has just all of a sudden realized, after meeting with Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration, and they said, it's happening. No longer is he rolling into town and a, and, and, a, and a Roman guard is going, hey, come heal my son. Oh, I got time for that. Hey, hey, would you mind uh, coming and having dinner at my place? Sure, let me come on over and have it. All of a sudden, people are saying, hey, come to my house for dinner. I can't. I got to get to Jerusalem because this is why I've come, to give my life for the sins of many. With unwavering focus, he is committed to one thing and one thing only, getting to Jerusalem to fulfill why his father sent him here. And so in order to prepare the way, he says this in chapter 10, verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others 
And he sent them ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. Forerunners, you guys go out, prepare the way, let them know that I am coming and my message is coming with me. Verse two, and he says to these 72, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Now, both of these are in other gospel accounts. You get Matthew chapter, chapter 9 talks about harvest is plentiful, laborers are few. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, look, I'm going to send you guys ahead into a harvest field, into a mission field that is, that is ripe for the picking. The problem is there's just not enough people to go out. There's not enough laborers to go out. There's not enough people out there carrying out the mission. And so again, to this room, for those of us in here that know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, how are we doing at harvesting God's harvest field? Are we laborers? Are we working for the Lord? Are we going out and representing Jesus in anything that we do? And when the opportunity comes, putting his name to it. You see, that's what he's calling us to do, to go out into the harvest field. We're going to leave here in just a little bit. You're going to go to lunch in the harvest field. Some of you are going to go to the Cardinal game this afternoon and you'll be surrounded by the harvest field. You're going to go to work tomorrow, school tomorrow, country club tomorrow. You're going to go do all sorts of things this week into the harvest field. Man, what might it look like to go as laborers and think, all right, God, today, how can I put Jesus on display in a way in which I love and relate? How can people see a little glimpse of you in the way that I interact with them and put Jesus on display? Now he says he's going to send you out like sheep amongst wolves. Why is that so important for us to understand? Jesus is beautiful in, in his, in his honest, honesty. This isn't rainbows and unicorns, guys. He's sending you out as sheep into a harvest field that is, that is chocked full of wolves. You ever watched a sheep and a wolf fight? It's not pretty and it doesn't take long. Wolf wins. It's a dangerous thing out there doesn't mean we don't go out and fight. doesn't mean we don't go out and share the gospel message. doesn't mean that we cower. It means we have a mission to call, that we are called to do, to go brag on Jesus, to put him on display, and we're called to do that anyway. Here, here's the reality. Some of you, what's Thanksgiving? Two weeks away? Two weeks from now, as sheep, as sons and daughters of God, you're going to invite wolves to your dinner table. Your family. Your extended family. They don't know Jesus. They got, no, they got no category for this. Why do you go to church? What is this Bible you carry around? No concept for any of it. You know, what might it look like in that moment to not just go, we're going to try and survive this meal together, but to think, how can I put Jesus Christ on display in the way in which I love and relate to the people that God brings into my home? That this is a harvest field. And again, it's been my prayer. I've been praying for some of the small groups, people in small groups, that, that this would be the year that they might actually say, you know what, we're going to pray before dinner today. We've never done that before. That's a big step for some. But would you take that step? Because it's an opportunity for you to put Jesus Christ on display. Sheep amongst wolves. It's not easy. What Jesus is asking us to do is not easy. I need you to hold on to that reality before we get to the end. Don't make any excuse that like, oh, this will be easy. It's not. Man, it's so worth it. 
Verse 4. He's going to make a similar request as he did in chapter 9. He says, carry no money bags. Take no knapsack, no sandals. Greet nobody on the road. Don't get distracted, guys. In fact, verse 5, whatever house you enter, first say to them, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you and remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Roll into town. Don't take anything with you. Go to the first house. Say, hey, peace be with you. Can we stay here? If they say yes, go in. Eat what they feed you. Stay where they stay. Don't go looking around for a better restaurant, a bigger house, a more comfy bed. Stay there. You're not there for, you're not there for the food. You're there for a mission. He's going to give us that mission in just a second. The kingdom of heaven has come near to you. That's what he's going to say. Let's keep going. Verse 9. Verse 8, sorry, whenever you enter that town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Verse 9, heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. So those that receive you, here's the message, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Verse 10, but whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near you. Whether they receive you or reject you, you preach the gospel. Again, the gospel they had at that time, the kingdom of heaven has come near you. Not just in the places where you're accepted. Now, don't just, don't just preach Jesus in church. That we put Jesus on display everywhere we go. Maybe even in some of those places where they go, I want nothing to do with your Jesus or your God. That's fine. I'm not going to change who I am and how I love and relate to you. I'm going to put Jesus on display. Might we do that? Why is it so important? Let's look at these next few verses. It says, I tell you, it is more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. We read that and go, oh, here's what they would have heard. Sodom was the most, uh, I don't know, aggressive, egregious punishment God ever doled out on earth that they would still have, a, have an understanding of. It's where God sent fire from heaven and burned the whole town up. So when they heard Sodom, they realized that is, that is absolutely God's wrath. It evoked some sort of emotional reaction. We don't have a whole lot of things like that in our world. We just don't. The closest I could come to was uh, many years ago, in fact, here at this church, I had the opportunity of taking a group of students over to Poland to do a missions trip with the Eiflings. At the end of that trip, before we got on a plane to come back here, they took us to the Nazi concentration camp Auschwitz, where I saw, and will never forget, some powerful and horrific things that took place there. And any of you that have been there, or have studied it, or have heard anything about it, you hear the word Auschwitz, and it evokes a reaction in you. Evil was done in that place. It's meant to trigger that's what, this, that's what Jesus is saying. It's better for, this, for, that, for the uh, people of Sodom than for that town because this is a huge deal. God's justice and wrath is coming for anyone that reject this gospel message. Verse 13, he's going to continue this same thing. Woe to you, Chorazon. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. 
Chorazon, Bethsaida, these are where some of Jesus' greatest miracles took place. Bethsaida, the most likely the place where he fed the 5,000. 5,000 people show up, men show up, and they get fed. And they go, eh, neat trick. We don't want anything to do with your message. Now Jesus is saying, look, it's better for Tyre and Sidon than for you. Tyre and Sidon were, were pagan cities. Equivalent to Vegas, okay? Think Vegas. That evokes like, oh, I know what happens in Vegas. Oh, I know what happens in Tyre and Sidon. We don't go there. Yet it's better for them than it is for these cities that have rejected Jesus. Verse 15, and you, Capernaum, you, will you be exalted in heaven? Implied answer, no, you shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me, but the one who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects the one who sent me. What is Jesus talking about here? Go and preach the gospel message. Why? Because the gospel message has eternal consequences. Everyone is spending eternity somewhere. Everybody. Those of us that know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we're going to hear in just a little bit, our names are written in the book of heaven. And so we get to experience everything we got done singing about and what we're going to sing about in a little bit, that we get to be with Jesus for eternity and worship God. And there is no pain. There is no suffering. It's nothing but awesome. It's going to be incredible for eternity. But for everyone that rejects Jesus, everyone that you interact with in this harvest field, everyone in, who is a wolf that you are presented before and have the opportunity to put Jesus to, and they go, I want nothing to do with your Jesus. They are choosing to reject Jesus. They too will spend eternity somewhere, just in a place called hell, separated from God, in pain and anguish and hurt. Day in and day out, no relief. Jesus is trying to tell these guys, look, this message I'm sending you out with, this isn't just, hey, go tell people this and then get on with your day. No, this is the message. Why? Because eternity is at stake. Do we live with that same purpose, mission, understanding, compassion for the world? Verse 17, these guys they go out, they do what Jesus asked them to do. Verse 17 says this. Then the 72, they return, and they return with great joy. Jesus, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And they're excited. We did it. Look at it. 18, Jesus says to them, man, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Maybe a reference to Isaiah 14. I think more Jesus is going, it's happening. Guys, this is it. It's It's beginning. This control that he's had over humanity, it's starting to come to an end because I'm going to fulfill my mission. Verse 19, behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the powers of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. If I'm these guys, I'm going, man, that sounds cool. Tread on scorpions, cast out demons. This is great power. But look what he says in verse 20, nevertheless, as great as that might be, guys, as much victory as you think you might have here and now, as much evil that you might be able to overcome here and now, all the things that you're like, look what we're doing. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. Rather rejoice in this, that your names are written in heaven. Because it's not about now, it's about eternity. 
do we live with that perspective? This was Paul's perspective, right? To live is Christ, put Jesus on display in everything that we do, and to die is gain. God's done with me here, I gain eternity. Are we living with that understanding? We fighting so hard to stay here. Fight here, stay here for the mission. But know that what we have waiting for us, it's an eternal perspective, verse 21. In that same hour, Jesus, he begins to rejoice. He rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. He said, oh man, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the understanding. And you revealed them to the little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. You can go all the way back to Mary's prayer in the very beginning that she would pray, God, let his message fall to the lowly and the humble. And that's Jesus now saying, God, thank you. Thank you that when you sent me here for all the people that could have received this message, you, you, you sent it to those that are, that are humble, that are, that are like little children. You didn't send me to the scribes and the Pharisees and those religious leaders that walk around with their chest puffed out. You didn't send me to them. You sent me to the humble, to the lowly so that they might receive this message. Verse 22, all things have been handed over to me by my father and no one knows who the son is except the father or, the, or who the father is except the son and anyone to whom the son chooses to reveal him. Clear, clear picture of Jesus saying, look, nobody knows who I am, only God does. You guys are all about to find out when I walk out of that grave. But right now, it's a mystery but it's all about me. It's not about the things that I've done. It's not about the the people that have been healed, the people that have been fed. It's not about walking on water. It's not about all of that stuff. All of that stuff points to the reality that I am the son of God and I have come with a mission to give my life for the sins of many. It's all about Jesus. Don't forget who he is and what we have in Jesus Christ. Then he looks at his guys, just the 12. says, then turning to the disciples in verse 23, he said to them privately, guys, come here. Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings, they desired to see what you see and they didn't see it. And to hear what you hear and they did not hear it. Go to page four of your Bible and flip all the way from there until this passage. Every prophet in the Old Testament, every Jew wandering the wilderness, every king trying to rule this nation, they were all looking forward to the day when God was going to fix everything and we're seeing it happen right here because God's son, Jesus Christ, has come on the scene and everything is about to change. The way in which God interacts with his creation is about to all change at the cross. It's going to go from this list of rules and sacrifices and do's and don'ts, and it's going to change into an absolute surrender and saying, God, I can't fix this on my own. But I believe your son Jesus died for me in finding everything in him. That's the motivation that I think he's calling us, the sons and daughters, to go out and live and put Christ on display in everything we do. So let's, let's flip this around. I think, there, I, think, I think the challenge here for us is to keep a, a perspective and to never forget. And yet Satan is crafty and this world is crafty and loves to get us to forget two things that are very important. And the first thing is this. Do we spend time 
anytime throughout our day, I would encourage you in the morning, before you even wake up, I know you wake up, you got texts to look at and emails to read and a lot of news has happened between 11 p.m. and 6 a.m. when you woke up, whatever. Can you discipline yourself just for a few minutes to sit there and go, all right, God, in this moment, right now, in this place, before my feet even hit the floor, before I get up, would you remind me of two things? One, would you remind me of what I have in your son, Jesus Christ? Would you remind me what I have in your son, Jesus Christ? God, God, call to memory those things that I know to be true, that eternity awaits. Remind me what it means that, that I get all of this stuff. Remind me of all the dumb things I did yesterday that I still feel bad about. Remind me that I'm forgiven of all of that, that your grace covers me. Whatever you have in Jesus Christ, don't forget what it is. You want to you flip this on its side and, and do something? It takes a lot of discipline, and it is terrifying. Take 60 seconds a week, maybe, and try and discipline your mind enough to go, I'm going to spend the next 60 seconds trying to wrestle with the reality of what if I didn't have Jesus? What if I didn't have Jesus? I'm stuck in my sin. Every stupid thing I've said or I've done, I've got to carry that. I have zero hope of a future. The best I can get out of life is whatever I can get here and now, and as soon as that's over, I got nothing. Feel the weight of that desperation for a moment. And then pull yourself out and just sit there and go, God, I'm so thankful that none of that is true. Would you remind me of all that I have in Jesus? That's the first question. Second question, not, not a ton different, but very powerful and the way in which we begin to see the world around us. God, don't even forget what I have in you, but God, would you also remind me who I am to you? Would you remind me who I am to you? Would you remind me that my name is written down in your book of life because you chose me, you chose to love me? So when everything in this world, they're gonna, again, guys, in just a second, we're gonna pray, and you're gonna head out into the harvest field, and a bunch of sheep in here, a bunch of wolves. You're going to get attacked. Some of, you, some of you are going to have the courage to go, you know what, I'm going to put Jesus on display tomorrow and you're going to put name to it. I believe in Jesus Christ and you're going to get ridiculed. You're going to, you're going to suffer what I would say is the American equivalent of persecution. You're going, to, you're going to feel some discomfort of some kind, most likely some social discomfort. And we'll begin to experience that. And in that moment, you've got to make a decision. Okay, have you allowed the people that are causing you so much discomfort over their opinion of you, has their opinion risen to the point where what they think and say matters more than what God says? And if so, you have woefully forgotten who you are in Jesus Christ. And I'm always saying that because this is what I do far too often. Man, I so desperately want my kids to think I'm an awesome human being. I want Brooke more than anything to love me as her husband and to go, man, I got the best husband on the planet. I want a lot of you out there to go, man, we like that guy. He's a good guy. I like that guy. But the day any of those people, their opinion, what they think of me, matters more than what God says about me, Satan has won. And I've, I've lost my way. I've gotten distracted. 
Do you know who Jesus Christ says you are? Do you know who God says you are? When those lies fill your head with inadequacies and reasons why you aren't what you think you should be or, or shame comes on the heels of, of, of willful sin and all of a sudden you just feel worthless, do you, do you know? Can you sit in that moment and go, God, right now I just need you to remind me who I am to you? Because I'm telling you right now, if we can spend 10 minutes a day before we even wake up going, God, don't let me forget what I have in you, and help me remember who I am to you. Then you want to be, then you have a chance. Then we have a chance of going out and living on mission in such a way that we would put Christ on display in the way we relate and love and care with other people. Then the gospel comes out, not because we have to, but because we're so overwhelmed with what we have in Christ. There's a big difference. I got two, two younger kids now, seven and 11. They get along great all the time. But inevitably, once or twice a week, it ends up with some, some version of this. Kinley, go tell Caden you're sorry and that you love him. Caden, go tell Kinley you're sorry and that you love her. Fine. I'm sorry. I love you. <laughs> Did they do it? Absolutely. Did they mean it? Not at all. There's a big difference putting Jesus Christ on display because you have to, because you feel obligated to, because it's your duty as a son or daughter of God. I don't think God's very interested in any of that. There's a whole other thing to put Jesus Christ on display in the way in which you love and relate to other people because you are so in awe of what you have in Christ and who you are to Christ that it just comes out, that it just comes out. You're not conjuring up, I gotta say the right thing. You just, it just happens because you're so overwhelmed by what we have in Christ. Jesus looks at these guys, sends them out with a powerful message, go preach the gospel, and they do. But they come back all excited about the stuff that they did. Jesus says, that's great. Keep doing fun stuff. But be far more excited that your eternity is set. Are we that way? In just a second, we're going to pray. You're going to get out of here. There's going to be a thousand distractions coming your way. Fantasy football teams to check out. Lunches to get ready for. Shopping to do. Homework to be done before tomorrow. All sorts of things to distract. That's just the way our world operates. And just like those NASA scientists in the very beginning, we can chase all these different things and try and do all of these different things, or at some point we can just say, you know what, enough's enough. All good things, yes, but we have one sole purpose and mission, and that is to make sure that people see Jesus Christ in me in any way, shape, or form. We live life with that mission. Again, I think if we can wrestle with these questions, these things that Jesus seems to bring up, it's gonna go a long way, because here's the reality, guys. Eternity is at stake. Eternity is at stake. Not just doing your Christian duty, but the people that you interact with tomorrow, this afternoon, the family members that are showing up for Thanksgiving at your dinner table, eternity is on the line. What would it look like? Take that leap of faith to put Christ on display and go, you know what, Jesus? I have too much in you to not share it with somebody else. I think that's what God's calling us to do as he sends us out into a harvest field. Let me pray for us and then we'll close. God, thank you for 
God, thanks for your word. God, thank you for, God, thanks for the hope that I have in eternity. Thank you for those dark days in my own soul when I, I don't know where else to turn that I can remind myself that now is not forever, that I am your kid. And God, when I listen to the lies the enemy feeds me and I begin to feel inadequate, insecure, and I thank you for those moments that you whisper in my ear what it means to be your son, who I am to you, that you are for me. And because you are for me, who could be against me? God, I pray for my brothers and sisters here that you would remind us every moment, every day. God, what we have in you, who we are to you. God, as we revel and live in that reality, God, that we would then go live a life on mission, on purpose looking a little bit more like you. God, for myself and some here, when the opportunity comes that you would give me the courage to put your name, Jesus, to the reason why I am different. So God, I pray for those divine appointments. Let them even start now. God, send us out into your harvest field. Let us labor for you because we love you. We love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. For all of us that know Jesus, we have eternity to declare our praise to the Lord because of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross. I've said this a lot of times, I'm gonna keep saying it. God's about to send us out into a harvest field and as sheep amongst wolves, we have a very small chance of loving a hurting, dark world if we don't get really good at loving each other inside of here, being a family inside of here. And so I say every week, service isn't over till you love somebody. It's not just something we say, it's something that we want all of us to participate in, to know that nobody leaves without realizing that they are part of something greater than themselves, and that is this thing called the body of Christ. So encourage each other, love each other. Ask somebody, hey, what do you love most about being a son or daughter of God? See what they say. If that's way too deep for some of you, think Kyler Murray makes it through the whole game today without getting hurt? I don't know. Just talk life. Be a family together. Eat some chicken and hamburgers out here. Be together. Love you guys. Have a great rest of your week. We'll see you guys all next weekend.